Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of Kramer Basketball, founder of the Coach's Edge. Thank you for joining me today. And on this episode, very special guest, Marcus Vanderheide, former All-American at Hope College, a unique playing career as he went from playing Division I basketball for one season at Canisius before transferring to Hope, becoming an All-American his senior year. And also unique as Marcus and I were teammates for a brief stint playing overseas. He's played overseas in Germany and Australia. He's been an assistant coach at Calvary Christian in Michigan. Now he's doing basketball training in Indiana. And Marcus was as well-rounded of a player as I've come across in my playing career, 6'7", and just really had a variety of skills that he could utilize throughout the course of the game. So we dig into player development. He offers some great tips based on his experience, his knowledge of the game, his passion for the game. And I really hope that you guys enjoy it. Before we get to the episode, if you find this beneficial, if you like what we're doing at the Coach's Edge, trying to give all of our coaches and some of our episodes really apply to players as well, an advantage, an edge, please leave a positive rating, a review, share it out, subscribe. We're gonna consistently give out all of these podcasts. <clears throat> I'd like to give a warm Coach's Edge welcome to a former teammate of mine, Marcus Vanderheide. Marcus, thanks for joining the Coach's Edge podcast. Hey, hey, good to see you, Coach. It's uh, it's great to catch up with you again. You know, we go we go back to our college days, and with our podcast, I mean, it's very much teaching based for for coaches, whether it's player development strategy, anything like that. But we have a unique story in the fact that we were teammates in college and for a, a brief yeah. trip uh, overseas. And yeah. feel free to fill in any blanks, but <laughs> you transferred um, to, to Hope, which you'll share a little bit of your background in a moment. Yep, I was a year ahead of you. I go overseas and I just finished playing in a lower level league in Germany. And I was the, the best player in the league, best scorer in the league. And so I was like, all right, I'm out next year. I'm yeah. gonna go to a higher league. And the team was asking if I knew anybody who would be a good replacement. And I said, well, actually, I do know somebody who would be a really good replacement. It was you. And so I was like, you should bring this guy in. So you signed to, to play on that team. Yeah. And I'm kind of waiting around and I'm getting a, a couple different offers, not as many as, as I would have liked, but none that I really liked. And so I was like, I, I, I called up Uvi. Yeah. And the, the, the program overseas, I said, can I come back and play with you guys <laughs> and until I get a better offer and then leave? Yeah. And I don't know why they said yes, but they <laughs> said yes. And so, yeah. so I was over there with you for like five weeks and yeah, sure. we lived in, what would you call that where we lived? It was a flat of a, like a flat big, duplex type yeah thing? flat duplex we lived lower level of a of, of family there yeah um but yeah i mean we had our own bedrooms i think we had one bathroom one kitchen so yep. uh that was definitely a good experience it was something and my, my wife still has some semi-horror stories from she's like i can't believe our first because i just gotten married she's like my first year of marriage yeah. We're in the States for a couple months and then we go to Europe 
and we live with one of your college teammates. <laughs> and uh, but we had a good time. We played cards yeah. every week. We had every night, week. Every week we played cards every night. Every night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, good. But, good times. Good times. So uh, it was great times. Uh, but no, as far as the the team goes, they knew what they were going to get with you. Uh, obviously, being the leading scorer and you know the MVP of the league the previous year, you know I don't you know I don't think it was a mistake that they brought you back, even though they knew that you were continually to look uh, for another position. They knew what they were going to get, and all they had to do was replace you if you took off. But I mean yeah. that was a gamble that I'd probably take as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad they I'm glad they did that. It got me a chance to get over there, and then um, some other teams could kind of take a look and pick me up, which is. That ended up happening. I ended up going playing Slovakia yep. after that next year. Um, so let's hear a little bit of, of your experience before we really break down the game, player yep. development for those players that are really trying to, to balance that inside and outside play, which you were so very, very good at as a, as a basketball player. Give us a little bit of your background as a player and a coach. Yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll kind of just start at the high school side of things. Um, you know, I, I obviously played my whole entire life, but it wasn't until high school where I knew that I might have an opportunity to play after high school. Um, I, my goal is always to get a division one scholarship. Uh, that's what I always worked for. I knew, you know, the commitment and the time and the work that I was going to have to put in to get there. Uh, but that is something that I was always willing to do. I just, I loved playing basketball. Um, so I played for the Grand Rapids Storm AAU team and got some great exposure with them, uh, with the Bob Gibbons tournament down in North Carolina, uh, the Adidas big time tournament out in Las Vegas. Uh, we had a big tournament in, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky as well, where, um, with, you know, it, it's one of the open seasons where you can talk to a lot of the coaches and kind of they introduce themselves and it's, it's almost that first, you know, handshake and, and meet and greet. Uh, prior to that, it was all just letters. Um, so I, uh, I had offers uh, to play at Colgate, Lafayette, uh, Ball State and Canisius. And ultimately I ended up playing at Canisius, which is in Buffalo, New York. It's a division one school in the MAAC. Uh, so if you follow the brackets at all, it's teams like Fairfield, Manhattan, Iona, St. Peter's, Marist. Um, a lot of those teams have made it into the big dance. Um, I would say I had a interesting first year. Um, unfortunately, there was a, a kid, uh, a teammate who passed away uh, with an enlarged heart uh, on the court. And he was the person who, uh, or the teammate who was going to be starting in front of me. Um, one guy who, you know, I really enjoyed uh, meeting when I went on my recruiting visits. One guy I was looking forward to playing under and learning from. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with Rich passing, uh, it, it gave me a little bit more of playing time as an experience uh, or to gain experience as a freshman than what I normally would have. Um, and so, you know, it, it was an interesting year. I kind of got thrown to the wolves. I got recruited as a three, uh, but ultimately ended up playing a four position. And so, you know, for me, that wasn't a big change. I kind of played an interchangeable three, four in high school, um, but doing it at, you know, what I would consider one of the highest levels 
um, of college basketball, you know, it's quite a, a, a jump for me. Um, and, you know, it, it's crazy when you're 18, I, yeah, 18, and you're playing against 22, 23, 24-year-olds. I mean, I was still a kid, and I was still 6'6", 170 pounds, soaking wet maybe. And uh, I'm playing against these massive guys. I think Juan Mendez from Niagara, um, I think he was like 6'9", 260, 26 years old, uh, and just strong as all get out. And so for me, I, I had to grow up in a hurry and learn. Um, unfortunately, uh, things didn't quite work out how I wanted it. Um, I, you know, had, you know, some really good games. And after putting up, I think I had 12 points and six boards against Eastern Michigan. And I was so excited. I, I think at the time I had called my girlfriend and her parents and my parents to say, hey guys, come, you know, drive to Buffalo. Like I'm going to be playing a lot of minutes. Uh, and that next game I saw zero time. Um, and so that, you know, it was a learning curve and it was frustrating. But for me, I, I just loved the game so much. I wanted to play it. Uh, so ultimately I decided to transfer and that's how I ended up at Hope College. Uh, for me, I, I looked at the Central's, Eastern, Westerns, um, but I would have had to sit out a year. And for me, I just wanted to play. And my mindset at the time was just play basketball, have fun, enjoy it, get done with college, get into the real world, start a, you know, start a big boy job, I'd call it. And it wasn't until you know, maybe junior years, early senior year, maybe I'd say that it actually hit me like, hey, this is amazing. And I would love to continue playing hoops, you know, at the professional level. Um, but yeah, I mean, coming back from Canisius, I looked at every division two school as well. Um, I was really close to, uh, you know, signing with uh, Grand Valley State University and Rick Wesley did a great job. Uh, I had a couple buddies uh, who had played there uh, with like uh, LJ Kilgore and Pete Trammell and Jason Jamerson and Bean. And then uh, my buddy who I played in Australia with Nick Freer. And so they had a great team. Uh, if you remember, they were the team who beat Michigan State preseason. I think State might have been ranked like number one. Um, and so, yeah, they had a great squad. For me, came down to Hope and Kelvin. I had a lot of friends at Kelvin, played uh, you know high school ball with them. They had moved on, played for Vanna Streak. I think they had just finished third in the nation uh, the year before I was considered transferring. So I knew they had a good team. I knew that I could you know fill in a, a, a spot. Um, and uh, went on my recruiting visit, walked around, uh, and took off. And I was, my heart kind of sank because I was like, I might be in trouble. Like I, I didn't get a very good feeling at Calvin, the one I thought I would be getting. Um, and went and took a uh, tour at Hope College, went and walked around with Van, uh, Van Weeren and Davilar and Coach Neal. So all three coaches walked me around. I met the seniors for lunch. And then I think I played in an open gym with everybody, which was great to meet the whole team. And then I stayed the night with one of my friends who was a current, you know, Hope College student at the time. And I went to bed and I remember praying. I was like, thank you for this sign. Like, this is perfect. I didn't know what I was going to do if I didn't like Hope. And so uh, 
you know, as kind of a, a sign, a blessing. Uh, but the the choice that I made is is one that I love, and you know, it allowed me to meet some of my best friends today and play with some of the best players I had ever played with. So it's pretty cool to hear everybody's story of kind of how they they go about it. And before we dig into player development, developing, you know, that inside outside game that that you did so well, I want you to dig into one specific thing. So many kids today, and it's probably some social media doing because of that, is this feeling of, hey, it's D1 or bust. And you said in the beginning, coming out of high school, Division One scholarship was something yeah. that, that you were after. Well, yeah. you got that. You got a handful of Division One offers. You went and played Division One basketball. And it wasn't like yeah. you were parked on the bench the whole time either. You're actually playing. And for most freshmen who even do get a scholarship, they're still not not playing as a freshman. I mean, that's really, really rare. Um, besides, you know, these one and done guys that are going to the NBA, when you go to yeah. a, a mid-major type school, those players aren't going to the draft after their first second year. They're there, they're freshmen through senior year. Yeah. So, I mean, you got a full pecking order to work your way through. You come in, you're playing some games, you score 12 and six, which would be a nice game, even yeah. for a kid who's a senior. Yeah. And you realize while you're there that it's not all about being D1, yep. right? So what is some of that advice that you would have given to your younger self in that time, knowing that, okay, you go from Midwest Michigan all the way to New York, all the way back to West Michigan? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely not all about D1. Um, and, and before I, I kind of get into the reason why it's not, I do understand the financial side of things. If you can get a division one or a division two scholarship and you can get a full ride. I totally understand that. Absolutely. Um, but I, that was my goal. I don't want to come out of college with any debt. Um, and, and so D three, you know, you're not allowed to get scholarships. Obviously you can get academic scholarships. I didn't get any of those. And so, <laughs> so that was, you know, one of the main reasons why I decided uh, to go D one is for the full ride scholarship. Um, but yes, it is not cracked up to what everybody, you know, makes it uh, out to be. Um, you know, it's a completely different level as far as um, size and um, athleticism, um, but it's still basketball. And for me, if, if I could go out and play every single day and know that I could put in 100% effort, um, that's something that I really wanted to do. But I also wanted to enjoy the team environment, enjoy my teammates, enjoy playing for a coach and, you know, working and, and practicing for a coach who's a leader and a motivator is a lot easier and a lot more fun playing than it is for someone who isn't. Um, because that's when the rift kind of comes in. It's like, well, I'm not going to bust my butt for you if you're not going to give me any playing time. You know, one of those things where, um, uh, like Coach Van Weeren and, and Coach Neal and Coach Davilar, they were so great and they all had their different characteristics that, you know, between the three of them really worked out well. Um, but yes, I, I mean, I'm happy that I transferred back um, to D3. And even though I had a lot of D2 scholarships coming out, I knew that it would, it would be similar position to what it was D1. And like I said, I just wanted to play and get that experience enjoy college, enjoy playing and doing what I love to do. 
Mm-hmm. That's a great answer. And, um, you know, obviously the financial side, like if, if take it, you know, take yeah. the, if you can get a scholarship, take it, but um, there's more to it than, than that for yeah. a lot of people. And, and you were in that boat of really looking yeah. at the big picture where you can take just the basketball playing time out of it and look at the overall landscape and experience yeah. and, and make that decision. I think that's a great piece that we can give to other coaches who have players who yeah. may be on that, that tier of, you know, maybe there's a couple of division one schools looking at them, or maybe it's not a scholarship, but it's a, it's a walk-on preferred walk-on yeah. um, or, or there's some, some D2 money, those different types of things are key. So that's all great stuff. We've got some background on you now. Let's let's dig into the topic of our episode, being really player development for inside, outside players, players that are in a sense a Swiss Army knife. So, yeah. how how has post play in bigs overall, playing inside and outside, changed over the years that that you've been playing and coaching? Coach, before we get back to the episode, I want to thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge and I want to let you know that it's powered by coachesedge.coach, the membership where we work with coaches from throughout the United States, helping them improve their team and their basketball program. If you're curious about coachesedge.coach and how we can help you in your basketball program, you can reach out to us at coachesedge1 on Twitter, contact at kramerbasketball.com. Thanks again. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's changed drastically. Um, obviously, when I was growing up, the bigs were Dikembe Mutombo and Patrick Ewing and Hakeem Olajuwon and Shaq. I mean, dominant forces down low who would post up and they would sit down low um, and, and ultimately, you know, make a post move. Um, you know, probably with the exception of the dream, nobody was really facing up that much from the center position. Um, they weren't necessarily, you know, obviously with Will and Bill Russell and those guys, I mean, they were scorers, but a lot of the game was moving more towards guards. Um, and the big guys were just becoming more role players uh, at their position. Um, but yeah, as things progressed, I mean, bigs, and I don't know if it was more of a European influence that came over, uh, you know, like with a dirt coming and, and stretching the floor, the pick and pop. But, you know, if it's moving that direction, that if you're a big and you can't pick and pop or pick and make a play once you get the ball, you're almost not going to find time unless you're extremely dominant at something else, like an extremely good shot blocker, like a Rudy Gobert um, or, you know, just that one facet that you're really good at. But picking and popping, you got to be able to shoot, you got to be able to screen, you got to be able to screen right, you got to know when to screen, uh, but then ultimately finishing at the basket once you get the opportunity. You know, I think it's it's probably a combination of the international game. I mean, we all kind of, everything's trickled down from, yeah. okay, what's going on in the NBA, what's going on at the college level. And then we take some things as high school coaches and say, okay, well, we can't do this and this, but we can start to apply these different things. Yeah. Obviously that's what we watch on TV all the time is the college, but college and NBA. But then you have that influx of players internationally who were obviously more face-up perimeter players. And then yeah. I remember um, Pitts Noggle for West Virginia. Yes. They made a deep run in the tournament with uh, Beeline. 
Yep. And that was that was early where he was playing like the four or five, but he was picking and popping and hitting threes. Yep. And he was the last guy on the trail and just catching and pulling the three. And they were upsetting some teams and everyone yep. was looking around like, what is going on? Yeah. This big is just back defending, protecting the basket. And Pitsnoggle's just sitting out there, big dude, just bombing threes. Yep. And so I think it's just that combination of honestly, like probably John Beeline doing a yeah. lot of things at the college level in the international game that are, have really changed and and made bigs really all around players. So you were a very all around player. Like when we started playing together in college, I was a junior, yep. you were a sophomore, and as smooth as you were, it was really hard for me to play with you in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's just a compliment to you because you could do so much of everything. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never played with you before. And so I was yep. using the, used to playing mm-hmm. with, okay, this guard or perimeter player, six, four or, or smaller, they're probably going to be outside this player, six, seven or taller, and they're going to be more so in the post. Yep. I know what I'm going to get. And then you come in and it's like, no, this possession he's posting up and bodying yep. somebody and spinning baseline. And then the next possession he's picking and popping and shooting a three. And then the next possession, you get it in a semi break and you, you do a little wiggle and you get by somebody and score yeah. or, or dish it. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, I know that you could do that either, right? <laughs> um, so again, it's compliment to your game, but you. you know, you gotta adjust to a player like that if you're not used to it. We're sure. seeing more of that kind of game among players who are you know six, seven, like your size. Now, what yeah. are some of those key characteristics to developing that solid all around game. Um, you know, for me, I, I was, uh, I was talking to uh, somebody the other day and, and for me, it wasn't, I wasn't always like a drill master. I wasn't really, um, you know, I'm going to do 500 pounds, you know, dribbles with my right hand and left hand and then through the legs. For me, I just played every single day and every opportunity. And so I would say the game started to be, uh, come natural to me and it just, I had been through so many different situations just from playing so much that what, you know, when something did happen, I was able to make a quick decision and react uh, when I needed to. But, you know, my sophomore year, I hope I came in, I think I started at a three. Um, and for me, I, I wanted to be as versatile as possible because I felt like that would force a coach to keep me on the court. And so when I came back to Hope, I started at a three, but it definitely helped to have a Greg Immink as a point guard and you as a wing and Andy Phillips as a power forward and Eric Boysen as a center, because all I, all I did that year was sit out in that left-hand wing in the corner and Greg Immink would come off a high ball screen and he'd pass it to me. And so for that year, that was my role. And I learned what my role was in a hurry. And all I had to do is stand in one spot and shoot the ball once my guy collapsed down to guard Greg. Um, but yeah, I mean, that obviously evolved to the next year when you were a senior and I was a junior, um, I had a different position. We didn't have the big guy. We, uh, we didn't have, I mean, Derek was great at creating, uh, you know, but Greg Emick was someone who could penetrate. I would say Derek was a little bit more of a scorer. And so that definitely evolved as well. And you have to learn what your role is on the team in order to be successful. So there's three things that you really, you really pinpointed there. One, your, your development comes from 
playing the game. Yeah. Right? And we all need this, this balance. And I think it's a little bit different for everybody of playing and, and working on your game. Like nobody gets really good at anything unless they're putting in the time. Sure. You obviously need to need to play it in order to be able to perform at a high level. Yeah. Second thing you mentioned was being versatile, right? Having a variety of things that you could rely back on, yeah. which goes into the third thing that you mentioned was that's going to help you find your role. Yeah. Now, the role is is two things. One, you have to have the game to to fit the role, but two, you need to have the the IQ to see where you best fit. And you also need to be humble enough to accept what that role is, right? Which is, which is a credit that I give you because you come in from playing division one basketball, meet a handful of division one, division two transfers to our team and, and only one of them started, right? I mean that, that year, right? So everybody had to say, okay, this is going to be a team by committee, right? There's not just going to be one, top dog and we're all just going to have to figure out what role we can fit for the betterment of the team so those those three things of, of playing developing a variety of skills and versatility in your game and being humble enough to to find your role yeah are really really key um well it, it it almost made it easier for me to find my role because you know transferring in from from a d1 school to d3 yes it can be a positive but it can be a negative too um, you, you can get some, um, extra, you know, weight thrown on your shoulders. Uh, it can be tough to even, uh, work with different teammates. Uh, they, they almost like look down and you're like, oh, you're a transfer, you know? And so for me coming in that sophomore year and I knew the great talent that was around me, um, you know, I just wanted to mold and kind of, you know, fit in as much as possible and whatever that role was. I was happy to do it. I, I would say my natural game would have been more like Andy Phillips and come into hope and play a four. Um, but that's not the talent we had. I mean, he was a better player than I was at that position. And so if, if I, I knew if I wanted to play, I had to work on my shot. Um, I think for a, a minute there, I was third all time in three point field goal percentage because it was like 61% for the year. But all I had to do was stand in a corner and that was my role and I would shoot it. Like it, it wasn't rocket science, but yeah. just to find that, you know, that one thing and, and mend and mold yourself to, you know, ultimately stay on the court. If, yeah, I, was just, yeah. if I was just a foreman, I would have been playing behind Andy Phillips that whole year. And for me, I knew if I wanted to play, I would have to do something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding the role and being humble enough to to accept your role yeah. are are two really big things, and you were able to do both of them. In fact, I think your my senior year, your junior year, we might have led the country in three point field goal percentage. I think yeah. I shot forty percent or a little above that, <laughs> and I think I brought the team shooting percentage down. <laughs> like I don't that, know, man. That's because uh, you know shot it at such a high clip. I don't know if you missed a three-pointer the last 10 games that you played. <laughs> yeah, that, that helps. That helps. Um, so if you're working, if you're working with a player, obviously we, we work in chunks, little tidbits. What are two or three pieces of advice that you would give to a player to help improve their effectiveness on the court? Yeah. Um, play every day. Do something that's going to get you better, you know, whatever it may be move that needle forward. 
play every day, get better. Um, for me, I, I had to work on things because I wasn't a God gifted athlete. I wasn't a freak athlete that didn't come natural to me. And I knew that. And so I had to outwork and outsmart and outplay, um, people who are more athletic. It just came natural to them. And so for me, the way I did that was to play every single day, get a ball in my hand, get shots up. If I didn't have a hoop accessible, I was working on my handle. Um, I would find any neighbor kid who would play with me to, you know, play one-on-one or two-on-two. And um, just that experience that you can get with a ball in your hand, that's when it starts to come natural. That's when your game can start to go to a different level. And I, you know, I, I think it's completely different um, kind of how we were, you know, uh, raised. You, you never played AAU, correct? So you, you were the fundamental ball handling, you know, shooting in your, you know, driveway. Um, and that was completely different than what I would essentially do. I was the leagues, the AAU, the plane. And so it's crazy if, if you can do both of those things and take your background uh, and, and how you did it and my background and just playing and how you did it. If you could do those things and mend them together, you could be a, a deadly force. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that's why it's so important for, like for me, especially with, with what I'm doing as a skills coach, the moment I say this is right and this is wrong mm -hmm. is, is where I, I, I'm really losing, right? Yeah. The potential of whoever it is that I'm yeah. working with. And yeah. it's really important to have the, the mindset of there's more than one way to yes. get something accomplished. And because everyone is so different, they may naturally have certain ways that they pick up things easier and faster than somebody yeah. else would. Me yeah. growing up in a really rural area, there wasn't an AAU team around. There wasn't a community center gym to go yeah. to. So, I mean, it was in my, in my driveway, occasionally I get to go to an open gym and play with some older guys, yeah. like with my dad and stuff, which was a, a great chance to play yeah. as well. But it was just a lot of playing on my own because that was my only, that was my only chance. Um, so there, there's more than one way to, to get that. But you also mentioned knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. And I think that as we develop ourselves as players, and from a coach, if you're a varsity basketball coach and you're looking at some of these kids that are coming up into their sophomore, junior year, you can see like a, occasionally a kid might grow six inches. Hey, yeah. great. Good yeah. for all of you. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. But for the most part, you can see what that player's overall physical strengths and weaknesses are going to be. And you can see some of those things within their game and their skill set. Yeah. So once you see that, now, okay, I have my strengths, I have my weaknesses. Now, how can we get the most out of our strengths yeah. while making sure that our weaknesses don't become limitations? Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing, right? Is you knew you weren't the quickest athlete. Yeah. That wasn't gonna all of a sudden magically become a strength just because you're working really, really hard in yeah. the off season. But you had to make sure that that weakness didn't become a limitation to you getting better yeah. you getting playing time out on the court yeah. it's key to have that that sense of just being realistic about who you are and what your game can develop and look like and as coaches we need to help people make sure that we're doing that 
For sure. I think a big part of what allowed you to get things done on the court was footwork and balance. And I know you're big on having great balance. So how does that play a role in how you teach players today? Yeah, I mean, I, I started kind of at a young age. It might have been sixth, fifth or sixth grade. Um, my dad got me like a personal trainer. And I, I was so skinny back in the day, man. I, I can't even tell you. And, and I signed up for this trainer, um, you know, 11 or 12 years old. And this guy was just a brick wall. I mean, he, I couldn't move him even if I tried. Um, but we were probably the same height. You know, he was probably 45, but just built. And he would, uh, he would take me out of the basketball court and I would be juggling tennis balls as he was pushing me and pulling me. And so first off, you know, I had to juggle. That's hand-eye coordination. That's keeping your eyes up. You know, if you get double teamed, you know where the double teams, triple teams are coming from. And so I'm juggling these tennis balls and I'm getting yanked back by him. I have to keep my balance. And then he'd shove me and then he'd rip my horn me, you know, just pull me. And for me, I had to keep my balance while juggling these tennis balls. And that is something that um, had, it helped me so much at the college level, because if you knew when to absorb that hit, if you knew when someone was going to apply that pressure, you could give and take, and ultimately you could get to the position that you wanted to on the floor, and then you could score with based off your footwork. Um, I mean, even now, a lot, you know, haven't played basketball in, in too long and obviously not at a competitive level. But even now, I would say that's probably my number one strength is if I get the ball in the post, I can, you know, absorb those pushes, get to where I want, and then just make a move from when I'm there. Absolutely. The Another big thing about the game, first of all, the tennis ball story, I've never heard such a thing. That's <laughs> It was tough. That's unique. I mean, he, he tasked me, I started with one, by the way. And so okay. you're, you're doing one like this. And then it went to two and I was just alternating. Wow. And I mean, I think it was after a year and a half when, you know, I started juggling them and they get tough, especially when you're getting pushed and pulled. Did I mess up a lot? Yup. But it also taught me that hand-eye coordination and to keep pushing through to ultimately, you know, by the time I was done working with him, like I almost had it down to a science where mm -hmm. your brain and your body and your balance, and it's all working, you know, together. Yeah. It's really not basketball. It's just things no. that apply to basketball. Right. I mean, you're really working on hand-eye coordination, stability yeah. and balance. And yeah. then the feel aspect, which also translates to the game. I mean, like yeah. I know high school, I know division one, I, I know, shoot, you can watch the Steph Curry video of doing the tennis ball stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's like tennis ball stuff where there's no basketball at all. It's like just, yeah. that's really, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that. Yep. Um, so the ball screen is being really, really, really utilized at the game of basketball today. Um, yep. I think we had John Spruance on an episode and I think he said that 70 plus percent of division one possessions last year involved the ball screen yes. at one point or another being a person who is usually the one setting the screen. Yep. What are some things that you teach bigs on effectively screening and then reading the screen? Um, it, it all starts with the setup, 
um, if if I'm a big, I always want my guys to be uh, sprinting to a screen. Reason being, if the big can lose their defender or even create a gap behind them, it makes it so much easier for the person coming off the screen to make a read. Think about how many times a big is late getting to a screen and that guard comes off the screen and just pulls up for a wide open jump shot. It it's all starts with the setup of the big. Sprint to that screen, get there, make sure you establish yourself, otherwise you're gonna get called for a foul for moving. Uh, but then ultimately play from your play to your strengths from there. If you're strength, if you're a big guy and you're good at finishing, make sure you seal that guard and roll. If you're more of a pick and pop player, seal that guard and get as far away from your, your defender as you can. Um, it'll make it a heck of a lot easier on the ball handler. But, you know, the combination between those things and, and ultimately making the, the read, I think, it, I think it's underestimated how much the big actually does in a pick and roll situation. Everybody's like, oh, it's the guard coming off. The guard has to make the decision. I think it all starts with the big and setting that screen and making sure, you know, obviously it's up to the guard to rub shoulders so they can't let the defender through, but ultimately you got to set that big base. You have to know where your defender is on your body and you have to know the person you're picking, you know, ultimately to read that situation. And yes, you know, if, if, if you want to pick and roll or if you want to pick and pop, whatever you're better at doing, but ultimately you have to read the situation. Um, if, if I knew that I had the guy sealed, the big was popping out in the guard, I'd keep the guy in my hip and then it's a nice, you know, dump off for a layup. But if I knew that the guard was trying to scurry over and recover and the guard had, you know, gone all the way down to the wing and my guy was all the way out there uh, defending him, well, I knew I probably had five seconds to backpedal as far as I could to get to the three point line for an open shot. So, I mean, understanding what your strengths are again, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, yep. and being able to, to read the defense, being able to set that screen up is big. And yep. the ball handler needs to do a nice job of setting up their defender. And the screener can set up their defensive player by sprinting to the screen, trying to create a gap. Uh, yep. That's good stuff. Um, let's talk finishing for a moment. Yep. Finishing is, is one of the most highly sought after aspects of the game right now, right? Yep. Everybody wants layups, they want free throws, they want threes. Yep. What are some tips that you give to players when it comes to finishing at the rim? Um, it's, it goes back to playing. And, you know, the more times you can lay a ball up off a backboard and off a rim, the more chances you have to get the feel for what it's going to do. Um, for me, I, I think I practice every different kind of layup uh, possible, just so I knew what was going to happen when I did it. Uh, I was never a high riser, so it's not like I was going up and, and going to dunk on people. I had to figure out different ways of how to score to be smart. But ultimately, I wanted when I was finishing, I wanted to be using my body correctly. I wanted to have my defender where I wanted them. Uh, and I wanted to use the rim as a shield as much as possible from shot blockers coming across the lane. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, let's back up a second. Can you okay. Can you repeat that again? Because I think those were some great, some great keys. Because so can you can you break that that feel and the position? Can you break that down into some chunks a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, for me, when I'm finishing, I a it goes back to balance. I want to make sure I have my balance with my defender. 
you know, where I want him. Uh, so I know if I'm going to have to finish high or if I'm going to have to finish with like a baby hook or if I'm going to be finishing with a right hand, you know, inside finger roll. Uh, you have to know where your defender is. Uh, and that ultimately is, is going to make your decision for how you're going to finish. I mean, there is times where if my guy was in foul trouble, I would I didn't really care about finishing the play. I would just try and draw a foul and go to the free throw line and get that good defender out of the game. Um, but yeah, you, you just have to know, like when you're finishing, what shot it is, is going to give you the highest percentage to make it. Um, you know, like I said, I, I was not a high riser. I had to find some very creative ways to score down low. Most of my finishing came from some form of shot fake, um, some form of drop step or up and under some form of way to, you know, essentially use my body to get me open to give me some kind of an advantage versus my defender. Shot fake is so valuable. It's yeah, so it, underused. It's underused. It's underrated. And so many people do it wrong. I mean, it gets, when I'm training kids, it gets frustrating where I'm like, make sure your shot fake looks just like your shot. And then ultimately utilize that. I mean, there's no reason to come off a screen and just like look like somewhere else besides the rim or actually look for your shot fake and then rip the ball through. I, when I work with kids, it's crazy how much that isn't taught. Uh, it's something that's so simple. And especially at the high school level where kids aren't necessarily um, trained or disciplined enough to stay down. Think about how cool a block shot is in high school. You know, the crowd goes crazy. I use that to my advantage. If I knew you were trying to block every shot, shot fake, see you later, I'll go take my two points. You know, it, you have to just be smart with it. Absolutely true. And, you know, understanding the foul situation, who's guarding you, as you said, everybody likes to block shots. Yeah. If you can understand, you know, when to shot fake and step through, step across, a reverse pivot, you're going to be good to go with, with sure. just those those basic shot fake reads. That's great stuff. Is there a move or a read that you found to be really effective? Uh, probably from the post, I would say an up and under. Um, exactly what we were talking about. If, you know, you can feel how a defender's playing with playing you. You can feel where the defender is guarding you from. And so if, if I knew what he was giving me and if he was doing it intentionally, trying to push me one way versus the other, a lot of times that shot fake up and under step through, you know, power dribble layup was an effective move. Another move that, that really worked at uh, Canisius out of the post, it was essentially a two step from the post. It's a small step, You're, you kind of get your guy to bite and then you take one more longer step to get further around them and lay it up on the other side of the rim. Um, those would probably be the two most like effective post moves I could think of. But if you can learn how to do a drop step properly or, you know, even drop step middle or to the baseline and where you are on the court, um, those can be extremely effective, um, you know, moves as well. Ones that, yes, they, they keep your balance there. Um, you can pass out of it if you get a double team, 
but you can also score and you're in a strong position to get an and one after you finish. And I remember you always had a really good spin move in the post as well, feeling your defender. Yeah. Sometimes you'd catch it and immediately spin. If you felt yeah. it looked like if you felt their body one way or the other, yeah. you'd spin right off of the contact. Could you break down what you were reading and how to make that decision on whether to spin or not? Yeah, I mean, that was a lot of the whole push and pull thing. Um, if, if I'm getting pushed on one side of my body, the easiest way to, you know, get to the rim is by a spin move. Um, but it, it happens so fast, too. I mean, there's times that I would do a spin move and then I go back and watch game film. I'm like, why did I like why did I do that or when did I do that? Um, it just it's that natural thing that we've been talking about just playing and how that kind of it, it's just instantaneous that you know that something like that can happen um, it is definitely an effective move though to get yourself open and use your defenders like over aggressiveness against them yeah you always did it right away so like if you yeah. were posting up and the defender was trying to half front or reach from yeah. the middle, for example, on that catch, it was an immediate spin yeah. sealing that defender on your backside and you're, you're going up on the strong side or sometimes reversing well, if, it on the other if, side. If he's quarter posting or like half, you know, uh, trying to guard me, well, then I already know where he is. And so I don't even have to think about that. If you catch, you already know he's on your left-hand side, then you can make that, you know, instantaneous move mm -hmm. um but it yeah it all depends on your defender how aggressive they are um and you you'll feel that in you know the first couple minutes of the game how hard is this guy going to be pushing me down here um and you can bait them you can set them up too there's a lot of times i did that where you know i would just two hard dribbles and then i knew he was going to bang well that third bang that's when you'd spin spin away yeah um because you knew like all he wanted to do is keep you from going in and so yeah, it, it, that, that goes back to balance, you know, that give and take and, and feeling out uh, your defender and where they are. I think that's one of the best moves is yeah. going one bang or two bangs. Yeah. And then they're anticipating that next bang. Maybe they're about to flop. Yeah. Think you're going to charge and you're not even going that way. Boom, you're spinning the other way yeah. and, and putting it in. But one it's, thing it's, that, also, it's also a good way to read the defense. Um, right. If, you were, if you're one of the better players, on the team, if you're, you know, back to your point of taking that one or two dribbles, seeing what your defender's going to do, that a lot of times that double team's coming across. Mm -hmm. And so if that double team's coming across from the top side, uh, that's the best time to use that spin move too. avoid that double team, or you can still kick it to the weak side where that double team is coming from. Which brings me into my next question was how passing plays a role yeah. in team success, opening up opportunities for yourself as well. Yeah. You were obviously somebody who could pass the basketball at a high level. So how does that play a role? How did it play a role for you? And then how do you help teach somebody else that skill? Yeah. Um, for me, I, I love to pass. Uh, I, I was never a pure natural score like you were. Uh, for me, I, I had to get other people involved in order to score myself. Um, I was thinking about this, you know, be, before you um, had asked me to, to do this podcast. Um, passing is such an effective way to get yourself open. 
as well as screening. For me, I love to screen because I knew it was the best way to get myself open. Jeff Carlson uh, was probably one of the best to ever do it. That man would run around and he would screen and he would get somebody else open. In turn, he's sitting wide open on the other side of the you know three-point line. I think passing is the same exact thing. If you know when to pass and how to pass and who to pass it to, um, you know, you can in turn get yourself open. Um, it, it's also, it's crazy how, like, how effective passing is for team morale. I mean, there's nothing worse than playing with a teammate who's an absolute ball hawk. Um, I, I personally hate it. I never really kept much to myself. And so if you were hogging the ball and not playing part of the team, I was going to let you know about it. I think I might've done that in college one time, <laughs> uh, but it's like passing it for team morale, team chemistry. If, if you can get the team to buy into the fact that if you pass the ball, your teammate and your teammates are willing to pass it back. That's when you get team team chemistry. If you have one guy just out there cranking up all the shots, nobody's going to pass him the ball. And that just completely, you know, kind of takes away from team morale. That's a great point. And as you said, not only are your teammates going to want to play with you, but you're going to end up opening yourself up for opportunities later in a yeah. possession because guys know you're going to wind up being open and you're more likely to get the basketball back as For well. Sure. Sure. Our last questions here. What advice yeah. would you give to a younger player who you look in, you're looking at them, you're like, man, it feels like I'm looking in the mirror, right? Yeah. And they're going to have some opportunities or choices that I might have. What would that advice would you give them? That's tough, man. First and foremost, I would say enjoy it enjoy it while you can it goes so fast yet it's some of the best years of your life um enjoy the the work that you put in the work you put in is is going to be a direct reflection of what you do further in your life uh for your careers and, and what you do you know even with marriages and relationships um but in, enjoy it while you can there's a time I, I remember sitting in my locker room after junior season of high school and I was like, holy smokes, I have, I've played, you know, for my whole life and I have one year left of high school basketball. This is crazy. Um, you know, at that point I wasn't hundred percent certain, you know, if I was going to be playing college. Um, and so for me, I was like, I need to enjoy this. And, and I loved it so much, you know, that, that, that came easy. A lot of kids don't necessarily have the passion or love for the game because maybe they play it because it might make them part of a cool crowd or something, or maybe they do it because their parents are forcing them to, if, if you don't play a sport, then you're going to get a full-time job. Um, you know, for me, I would, I would say, enjoy it, play with passion and listen. Um, for me, I, I felt like I learned so much if I would just shut my mouth and listen to my coaches. Um, and that wasn't always easy to do. Um, but from someone like you with the experience you have and someone like me from the experiences I've had, if we go to like the high school level or the middle school level, what we're teaching them is on the high side of things, on the high level. 
I wish I had someone like you or I had someone like me when I was in high school to teach me these things because it wasn't until college that I actually learned it. And then it, I learned more in the pros and, you know, it, for now I can take that culmination of everything and teach those to the kids who I train. I just need them to listen and to buy into it. There's nothing worse as a coach than teaching someone to do something and then they don't listen. Even though you're trying to help them, they have to listen, be willing to do it, work on it, ultimately put in the time. That's great advice. I mean, enjoying listening, you'll yeah. never regret putting in the hard work is, yeah. is key. And you also brought up a great point. Like I think there's many kids out there who they may not have this passion for the game of basketball and that's yeah. okay. Right. Yeah. Some players like what basketball brings. They don't actually like basketball itself. Yeah. And for those players, it's going to be hard for you once yeah. you get onto that college level, if, if that's the case. And, yeah. and for some of you, you need to make that choice earlier and say, hey, maybe college basketball is not right for me because that, that's going to become much more of a, much more of a job. For sure. Um, apologies then, for the then you, run, you can probably hear in the, yeah. in the background. Then, then you run into passionate people like me. And if you're not passionate, that's when I become even more passionate about things. So yeah, I mean, you got to walk that, that fine line of, of what, you know, what drives you and, and what's the reason for you being there. I absolutely, I, mean, I could always tell if a teammate wasn't dialed in, and I would make sure I would get them there. I mean, there was times that I wasn't dialed in and a teammate would slap me on the face or, you know, set an extra hard screen, wake you up a little bit, but it it brings you right back to, all right, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm gonna work hard. This is why I'm here to learn. And yeah, be passionate about it. Marcus, I can't thank you enough for being on the Coach's Edge podcast. Appreciate you taking the time, sharing your passion for the game. Any closing thoughts, I'll leave it to you. No, I, I mean, we covered a lot today and, and I think it's all good. Um, but I, I really appreciate you having me on this podcast. Uh, I love watching your, uh, your basketball tutorials and the drills that you do. And for me, it always, it kind of brings me back, you know, I'm not involved in the game near as much as what you are anymore, but seeing those videos and, you know, there's a lot of younger kids who I've referred your YouTube videos or your Instagram, uh, onto, and all I've heard is great feedback. So, you know, for, for all the kids training, uh, that you're training, that kids are learning from, uh, I would highly recommend, um, you know, listening to Steve and what he has to say, uh, because even, you know, I learned a lot from him just playing together in college and overseas. Um, and those are, those are little tips and tricks that you can take with you to ultimately become a better player. So I appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, on here. I'd, I'd love to do it anytime uh, and always welcome and or I'm always willing to, to help train some kids with you as well. So I appreciate that. And I'll put Marcus's contact information in the show notes. Marcus is in kind of northwestern area of Indiana. Shoot, I think we have about 5% of our listeners are in the state of Indiana. I don't know uh, which area, but uh, yep. I definitely recommend you guys reaching out to Marcus if you want to work with him. And uh, thank you for listening to the Coaches Edge podcast. If you like what you hear, we would love a rating, subscribe, review, share it out with somebody else who may find this beneficial. That only helps us grow the Coaches Edge. Thanks again and thank get after you. it today.